0: So we're four and a half weeks into the season of Lent today. This is the fifth Sunday of the six and a half week season that uh, since the fourth century, the church has set aside to prepare for Good Friday and eventually also for Easter to walk with Jesus on his journey to Jerusalem and specifically to his cross there in Jerusalem. And while Lent has been a season for many people over the centuries to give up Things For ostensibly spiritual reasons, for the sake of self-discipline and to get our comfortable lives closer in touch with the suffering of Jesus as his journey and our journey move him toward the cross. Another part of Lent has not just been giving up, but encouraging us to give more, intentionally more generously to the things of God... As this church has done for decades with its annual Lenten offering project through a global initiative this, <clears throat> this week or this year of which goes to a ministry in India that equips pastors to equip other pastors and church planters and evangelists to be ambassadors of Jesus in a dry and weary land where the seeds of the gospel planted and now wa- watered are blossoming and flourishing. And being consumed and drinking in by the people there. And this focus on giving was an integral part of Jesus, even his journey to Jerusalem. And his discussions, his teaching along the way. And as we return to the middle part of Luke's Gospel where we've been the last four Sundays, we'll see some of that as part of our grounding for Lent this morning, As a recap, if you're a person who likes to sort of be on a particular path, four weeks ago we read from the ninth chapter of Luke's Gospel about Jesus setting his face toward Jerusalem like a flint, about a shift in Luke's Gospel in which his focus seems to be more from that point on toward the cross, toward Jerusalem, and that part of his mission on his Father in heaven and what his Father had for him. We talked about Jesus' single-minded focus. Through Luke's gospel from that point on. Three Sundays ago, John spoke from the next passage in Luke in which Jesus talks about denying oneself, about how those who would seek to follow Jesus must deny themselves and their own selfish interests and instead align themselves with the things of God as Jesus himself had done and would continue to do. Two centuries ago, David spoke from the first few verses of chapter 10 in Luke's gospel, and there we saw Jesus again reflecting his own experience as he had come to a place where he really had to trust his Father on the mission to which his Father had sent him. Jesus now compels his disciples as he sends them out. To go without all of the things that they might put their trust in. And to instead trust God for the journey ahead of them. Last Sunday we read in chapter 10 about Jesus' interaction with Martha and Mary. And through that conversation about what we said holistic, healthy, and balanced discipleship. Including rest. Including sitting. Including worship. Looks like. This morning we're going to read from chapter 11 in Luke's gospel, continuing with Jesus on his journey to Jerusalem. First, let's pray. Help us, God, for a few minutes to be like Mary, whom we learned about, talked about last Sunday morning. Help us to slow down, to be attentive Give us the grace of being able to quiet all the noise and voices and distractions and stresses in our lives that maybe have come into this room with us, that we might be attentive to you, to your spirit, and to your word. Truly give us eyes to see, ears that will hear things that will last, hearts that are fertile soil into which you can and will plant the seeds of your gospel in new forms. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they would be taken to heart. If my words stray in any way from your word, may they be quickly forgotten. We pray in Christ the Lord. Amen. Beginning at Luke chapter 11, verse 37, listen closely. This is the word of God. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited Jesus to eat with him. So Jesus went and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he knows that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor. And everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. This is the word of the Lord. A Pharisee invited Jesus into the Pharisees' home to eat with him. And Jesus went. And while we may think of the Pharisees as a religious party within Judaism who were often or regularly or always opposed to Jesus as legalists and as some of the bad guys in the Gospels and in Jesus' life, Jesus actually had a lot in common with Pharisees and probably more in common with them than he had with any other any of the other Jewish parties in addition to embracing the traditions and the practices and the customs of Judaism and in addition to worshiping with them every Sabbath in the synagogues or in temple Jesus like the Pharisees took the scriptures of the Jewish people very seriously Jesus had a lot in common with Pharisees and it was not uncommon for him to enter their homes we see it over and over just in Luke's gospel, to eat with them, which was a sign of fellowship, friendship, oneness. It was not only tax collectors and sinners with whom Jesus ate. But this Pharisee on this day noticed that Jesus neglected to wash up. That's the sort of thing that Pharisees were good at noticing. And the washing up had both religious and hygienic purposes, meaning... And this Pharisee pointed such out to Jesus in a way that expressed probably both objection and offense and inquiry, to which Jesus replied, You Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the dish, probably referring to the person, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You wash the outside, but you ignore the inside. And Jesus was more interested in and concerned about the inside of the Pharisee and of us. In fact, he may have skipped the common ceremonial washing that time before sitting down to eat just to make his point, just to get this Pharisee's attention. And Jesus said, you have addressed the dirt on your hands and your feet and your face, but not the greed in your heart, not the dirt in your heart. And that's the real problem. That's the greater problem. That's the true problem. And then Jesus speaks what is the first of seven woes here in Luke's gospel. Matthew records Jesus' blesseds. Luke records seven woes from Jesus that begin here in his gospel. All directed at the Pharisees, at serious religious people, at those who took the Scriptures very seriously and the living out of their faith very seriously. And the first of those woes went like this. Woe to you, Pharisees, or watch out, or be warned. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Now, the Pharisees loved the tithe. I mean, they loved tangible rules that they could wrap their arms around. Pharisees loved the idea of the tithe that they saw scattered throughout the Old Testament, their scriptures, our Old Testament, giving a tenth of one's things to the Lord each year, to the work of the Lord, to the Levites, to the priests, to the institutions of God. And this tithing they took so seriously that they even tithed from their gardens. As such was a part of their assets, their incomes. They counted everything. Not pre-tax, not post-tax, everything. And they would measure one-tenth of everything. Nine turnips for me, one turnip for you, God. Nine heads of cabbage for me, one head of cabbage for you, God. Even down to the leaves of mint. Nine leaves of mint for me, one for you, God. But as one can see, the practice of their faith had become this dry system of ledgers, and so spiritual death rather than life. But Jesus' kingdom and life were far more than numbers, more than ledgers, more than credits or hollow religion. But if one-tenth is not the standard or the goal or the requirement, where and how does someone who wants to understand giving and how one should give, that's the real question here, isn't it? Where and how can one learn or know about that today or then? I didn't grow up in the Great Depression. Some of you did. A few of you did. With basic, when basic necessities were sparse, when the cupboards were often or sometimes bare. This was my mom's childhood. Her mother and stepfather moved around to remote parts of Texas, driving their old car, pulling a trailer behind, looking for jobs, looking for work. They were hard, hard times. There was time before my parents got divorced when we lived in one of the biggest houses in a little town in Texas. And after they divorced, we, my mom, sister, brother, and I lived in a one-bedroom apartment for a while together. But I've never experienced, there was never a time in my life when the coverage were bare, when we didn't have everything we need, when we didn't have clothes, when we ever missed a meal. I don't know that experience. And yet, despite that fact, I didn't. The, despite the fact that I didn't grow up in the Great Depression, I seemed to have had from childhood, sort of wired within me a scarcity mentality. I did not give things away, or at least not easily. I did not eagerly share. I collected things. I had a number of different collections. I accumulated things. I was and I am a saver which isn't always a terrible thing. My unconscious or subconscious thinking was, and still is by default, that if I give away everything, which felt like a small death growing up, that I wouldn't have anything, which is actually true. But on the other hand, Jesus did say to a wealthy person on this same journey to Jerusalem, That what that man needed to do more than anything else was to give away everything. And then that man, Jesus said, would have eternal life. Then, and only then, would that man have eternal life. Of course, Jesus doesn't call most of us to give away everything, and yet he does call and does invite us to give significantly and to give generously. I've always been able to come up with reasons in my mind. And I don't even have to work at it. They just come to me about why now is not a good time to give to this thing or that thing, to this person or that thing, to this opportunity or that opportunity, to this organization or that organization. I'm not even 18 I'm still saving. I have, I'm mowing lawns and babysitting and working at a flea market on the weekends. I don't have much money. Whatever money I have really wouldn't counter make a difference. I'm in college now. I've got these huge debts. I can't work very much. I have very little money. I don't want to slip into greater debt. I'm just out of college. I'm making almost no money. I need to pay off my college debt. I'm in seminary. Money goes out the door and doesn't come in the door at the same rate. I only have a couple of hundred dollars in my checking account, in my bank account. I'm just out of seminary. I'm making sort of the bare minimum according to the presbytery. It's not a lot of money. I've given my life to the church. I'm a pastor. I'm not making a lot of money like my peers. I need to start saving money for a house. I need to start putting some money away. I'm going to have kids one day. I need to save for that. We're going to have, have to pay for college one day. It's never a good time. It's, it's easy. It's always been easy for me to explain away. Well, if I give away that money right now that's invested in the stock market, well, this next year is going to be a really good year in the stock market, I think. And so I better keep that money for this year and invest it so a year from now I'll have more money to give away, right? Or I've got this money and it's invested in the stock market, but the next year doesn't look really good and I'm probably going to lose a little bit of that money. So I better keep it so that a year from now when the stock market's at the bottom and ready to rise, I'll have more money to invest so that one day when I give it away, are you with me? Do you see how it goes? Does anyone else tell themselves those same sorts of stories? four of us we all need to take the financial peace university course in his letter to the corinthians his second letter paul references some people in the church in macedonia who were poor who were poor And he had seen them give generously and he encouraged them to continue to do so. And he said, the grace of God is upon you. You have received the grace of giving. He's not trying to drive them to the poorhouse or manipulate them. But he sees God's grace in their lives and in their ministry and the gospel flourishing because of them. And he encourages them to continue in the grace of giving. How many of us want, ask for, pray for the grace of God in our lives? But that kind of grace too? But that kind of grace also? The word grace is connected to the word blessed in Greek. And Jesus says in the book of Acts, it's more blessed, there's more grace in giving than in receiving. We don't understand that at a young age, most of us. And Jesus says, don't worry about all of your excuses. I've clothed the flower of the fields and the birds of the air. My Father in heaven knows everything you need. It'll be taken care of. Moreover, giving us a way that God shapes us into the image and likeness of Jesus and grows us as followers of Jesus and better and more than that opens up his kingdom to us His kingdom, which you have heard over and over, is at hand. It's here. It's close by. It's available now. I don't know if it's nature or nurture or something else, but different people seem to have different predilections and propensities when it comes to giving and generosity. Each of my four kids is very different in this regard, though they were all raised in the same household and by the same parents. So I'm not sure how a person gets their baseline disposition with regard to giving. But I know how a person can grow in this regard. And it is simply to believe Jesus. And when one believes not just in Jesus but actually believes and trusts Jesus himself and his words teaching message. I hope we understand the difference. One will give heed to what he says. And do what he says. When we believe in Jesus, we believe Jesus. When we believe Jesus, we believe in Jesus. And trust him and we'll do what he says. And Jesus said, Pay attention to the greed and wickedness within oneself. And wash it out. Actively, proactively, intentionally wash it out. Second, be generous toward the poor. Many of us know Jonathan Edwards only because in college we had to read in an English class his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Jonathan Edwards was as orthodox theologically as anyone ever has been. Puritanical. He was not a secular humanist. He was not a liberal modern. And yet, Jonathan Edwards said that the most defining and unique characteristic unavoidable of Christianity is care for the poor. Care for the poor. Be generous toward the poor, Jesus said. Number three, practice tithing. In some way, shape, or form, Jesus said to the Pharisees, affirmed that value that they had but there's more he said do not neglect justice and the love of God which isn't quite as black and white as the tithe thing and leaves a lot of open-ended questions and loose ends do not neglect justice which is what is right or righteous or true or good it is not punishing people for bad things they have done but a world in which things as are they are as they are supposed to be do not neglect justice which in the scriptures has a lot to do with caring for the widow and the orphan and the foreigner and the immigrant and the poor do not neglect justice or the love of god which, as you know, has no bounds, is generous beyond measure, sees those in need, addresses those needs. As God has loved us, so His love is flowing and seeks to flow through us and not just permeate us, but extend to the world through us. Probably the best known words of the prophet Micah are these, act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. In a word, Jonathan Edwards might say, give. And thinking of this word in the broadest possible way, giving can mean giving blood, which a couple of dozen of you and some of our neighbors out there did on the campus last Sunday morning and into the afternoon. Enough blood, the blood bank, told us to save 81 lives. Giving one's time, which is among the most precious of one's possessions in an overly busy world. Giving attention, which is what some people most need from us and what will most bless some people in Jesus' name. Giving words, words that soothe and that comfort, words that forgive, heal, and reconcile, words that affirm, bless, and encourage. Giving our hearts through prayer. Praying for others, praying for one another, praying for the world, praying for our enemies. Giving oneself. We read a story in the news this week, maybe you saw it, about uh, a nurse, and she just happened to pass by a five month old infant girl there in the hospital who had been there her entire life because her mother had been addicted to drugs. And over the course of those five months, not once did anyone come to visit her. And the woman moved immediately to adopt that girl, which she did. Giving that girl a mother, a loving parent, giving oneself. And last but not least, giving money for which sometimes there is no substitute, at least for the giver. Are you with me? At least for the giver. Sometimes the one thing that we must give for our own sakes, for our own growth, for our own entrance into the kingdom, is money. Just to be clear, I'm not asking you to give to the church, especially if you're a guest this morning, though I believe that giving to the work of God through this church is money well invested and through such great joy is derived by those who give. I saw another story in the news this week about a 13-year-old boy, single mom. Started showing, not showing up at home after school quite as much his mom asked, where are you at? He said, I'm, I'm working. She let it go. One day he comes home and says, come with me, mom. Why, where are we going? She went along with him. They went down the block. They came to a house, a woman came out and met them. White car in the driveway. It was a, it was a uh, Metro, I forget the brand of Metro. Who made Metro? Geo, not a great car. I rented one one time, three cylinders. It was like a big lawnmower. But he said, Mom, this is your car. The 13-year-old boy had mowed enough lawns to buy his mom, who didn't have a car and could barely make ends, ends meet, a car. I'm not asking you to give to the church, but I will encourage you gladly to give to our Lenten Offering Project, which will fund the equipping of pastors in India poor pastors who will equip other pastors and evangelists and church planners to be ambassadors as i said a moment ago of jesus in a dry and weary land where the gospel is desperately needed and clung to when heard and preached may god give us the grace of giving toward this project and may his kingdom come and be manifest through such And may we all do this with the Apostle Paul's words of encouragement to the Corinthians on our mind. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give that what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. However, in whatever God leads you as an individual to give or as a family to give, Do not do so reluctantly or out of mere duty or out of guilt. Absolutely do not. But instead, as you are able, as God leads, in whatever of these ways or whatever amount, give with cheer and give with joy. And next Sunday, when whoever it is calls for the offering, stand up and sing and clap and say, hallelujah, I have waited for this this moment all week long. Seriously, why is that a somber moment in our worship service? Let's practice. Will the ushers please come forward with the baskets? I'd love to see it next week. As we continue through uh, Lent, following Jesus to his cross, hear these words also from the Apostle Paul, also from his second letter to the Corinthians. For you know... The grace of our Lord Jesus. That though he was rich in every way and in everything. Yet for your sake he became poor. So that through, so that you through his poverty might become rich. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor. In other words he gave and gave and gave and gave and gave, gave everything he had so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. We confess, God, our uneasiness with the subject of giving at times. Help us to see opportunities to give not as a drain, but as opportunities to experience and to participate in your grace, to receive your grace. You said woe to the Pharisees, and we receive their woe as well. We are, like them, serious about your word and want to follow your son. Forgive the wickedness within us and the greed. Free us, liberate us from greed, from wanting, clinging, an obsession with accumulation. Forgive us for neglecting justice, for neglecting your love manifest in the world and through us. Turn us around, help us to repent. Send us on a better way, a better route, a better path. You are the way. We confess and we pray in Christ the Lord. Amen. And friends and brothers and sisters in Christ, know that in Christ we are forgiven, we are healed, we are restored through his blood, we are reconciled to our Father forever. It is done, it is finished. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said to his disciples, his friends, this is my body that's broken for you, do this, eat this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took a cup and he said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink ye all of it. The Apostle Paul tells us that whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup in this way together, we implicitly proclaim the Lord's salvific death on the cross, on our behalf, and on behalf of the world, until he comes again in glory, which he will. He will. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we ask that through this meal together, through this eating and drinking, that you would unite us with one another and unite us with you. That you would bring about an effective communion and fellowship. A commonness and a oneness in your spirit and in your life. Open our eyes to the things that you would have us know. Shape us into the people that you would have us be. Put the imprint of your grace again on our hearts and our minds and our beings. That we might live wholly for your glory and your name. Amen.